right, church, good morning, and if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. That's where we're going to be this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 24, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 for us. It says, when Samuel returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild, wild goats rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing it is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit him to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And that is the word of the Lord. Amen. So if you've been coming for some time, you, you will recall that we're in the middle of a sermon series, so to speak, within this book. Um, we, we, uh, we've been walking through the book of 1 Samuel and uh, doing some expository preaching uh, from beginning to very end, and within the book of Samuel, sometimes there's a series that goes well together, and we kind of uh, present it in that way. Well, the series has been the uh, providence of God, and uh, today we were supposed to talk about the providence of God in conditioning our hearts, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that next week, but we're veering away from that sermon series just for this week uh, to look at the sin of bitterness and. I, you know, I had every intention to continue uh, the sermon series this week. I sat down in my study, began to look at the text, and the more I looked into the text, the more I saw that we needed to really focus in on the sin of bitterness. I, I liken it to, it's like Troy Aikman when he came to the line. I have to go all the way back to Troy Aikman because that's the last time the Dallas Cowboys have been great, but it's like when Troy Aikman went to the line. And uh, he's, he's sitting there and, and he notices the middle linebacker or the cornerback, defensive back. He's shifted his weight forward. He, he can tell it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, they're going to rush the quarterback, right? It's going to be a blitz. And right at the line, he calls an audible. I, I liken it to me coming to God's word and, and seeing where the devil is dealing with us uh, in our church and in, and in our families. And uh, I had to sit there, look at this passage and say, I need to call an audible because we need to take care of this right here. This, this needs to be preached on, this needs to be handled by people, this needs to be discussed. So that's why we are um, going away from that, but we will continue that next week. Uh, I do want to look at this because I know that there are some in here who have been wronged by someone else. And that's really not a, neat, a hard statement to say. I can go in pretty much in any church and say that. I can go into any home and say that. Uh, we've all been wronged by someone but this, this person in particular has hurt you so bad that it's hard for you to get past uh, the pain. It's hard for you to get past the fear. And there's a lot of frustration that goes along with that. And it's hard for you to get past that as well. 
um, you have anger against this person, right? Even if it's just doesn't come out all the time, and I'm not talking about you yelling against him, but there's, there's anger in your heart against him. And instead of that anger subsiding, it's grown fiercer. It's like a, a fire that begins in a home and it just catches on to fuel and it just spreads from one room to the next very, very quickly. And maybe that's you. You've, someone has wronged you and, and you were angry with them and all of a sudden this anger is just spreading throughout your heart. And any other mistake that they make just adds fuel to the fire. That fire is just growing, um, burning hotter, uh, growing by the minute. And the intense fire of uh, your anger has led you to really hate that person. And we know what the Bible says about hate. If we have hate in our hearts against somebody, it's just, it's just we might as well murder them uh, because uh, that's the way God looks at it. So this is very detrimental to your faith and your disposition throughout you know, every single day. It needs to be addressed. And the thing is, is that what I described to you is not uncommon. It not only happens with strangers or with just people who are not very close to you. Unfortunately, more times than not, it happens in marriages. What I'm describing is the relationship between a husband and a wife. It happens in families, between brother and sister. Right. It also happens in churches. Not the person sitting next to you because you hate them so much that maybe they're back over there. But they're still in this room. Or maybe they're not in this room anymore. Maybe they felt like they needed to leave because they couldn't be here in the same place where you were. There's a lot of situations and a lot of circumstances, but it happens everywhere amongst friendships. It happens. See, it's not only a them problem. I like to say it's a you problem. This is not a sermon for somebody else. This is a sermon for you. If I want to include God's providence in it, he brought you here today to hear this sermon. So I want you to know that even though, hey, maybe the relationship that I'm talking about right now, maybe it started well, but sin happened. The fire of your anger was kindled and bitterness has grown your anger into a forest fire. And this is where we have to be careful. We have to be careful because like a raging fire, the sin of bitterness it consumes everything in its path, and it even destroys the heart. So in our passage, there are three things, there are three marks, if, I, if, if you will, that, um, that identify a bitter heart. And I want to go over these three marks with you, and then I want to talk to you about what God is doing in your life if you're dealing with bitterness. Uh, the first mark is, the bitterness, is that bitterness justifies sin. Bitterness justifies sin. Looking at verse 2, we see that Saul, he gathered up a special forces unit, basically. Uh, We ended last week, uh, chapter 23, where Saul was just about to go and capture David. He was right on his heels. David was about to lose his life. And then out of nowhere, a messenger comes and tells Saul, hey, the Philistines are attacking. We need you to come back. And for some reason, and I, I still think to this day that it's personal, it was something personal, it was something that, that was personal for, for Saul, something that was very important to him, because there is no other reason to describe why he would stop chasing David.
but he goes and leaves to take care of the Philistines. And he learned a lesson here in chapter 24. Instead of just getting men to go with him, he gets 3,000 men. Remember, this is 3,000 men to capture 600 men. Basically, all he wants is one man. And he has 3,000 men. These are hand-picked special forces men, armed to the teeth, ready to capture David. He's failed before. Saul's failed before. He's not going to fail again. Uh, Then in verse 3, we see that Saul came to a cave and he needed to relieve himself. I don't need to go into detail as to what that was. We all know what the Bible was talking about there. The interesting thing, though, in verse 3, providentially, David and his men, they were hiding in that cave, the cave that Saul chose to go and relieve himself in. And the thing is, is that they were in the innermost part of the cave. They, scripture doesn't indicate that they knew that Saul was coming or even that Saul was around the area. I, I, they, I think they were th- taking refuge in that cave. And uh, they were in the innermost part of the cave just to be safe. And I, I, I like to think about what they were thinking about. Uh, they thought, hey, Saul will never capture us here. Or maybe they weren't even thinking about Saul at the time. They were just trying to get a good night's rest or, or just rest for the day. And then maybe they were fleeing at night. That's what happens a lot of times when you're running from somebody. And they're laying back in this cave and all of a sudden they hear somebody come in. They try to look and see who it is. And I can imagine one of the men seeing that it was Saul. Now, the first instinct for them to think is, oh, no, we're done for. He's captured us. He's found us. We don't have anywhere to run. This is a dead end. We're in the innermost part of this cave. He's armed to the teeth with all these men. It's over for us. And then anxiety goes away and they start to see a golden opportunity. It's Saul, but he doesn't know we're in here. It's Saul, and he's alone. And in their hearts, the men saw this not only as a golden opportunity, they saw this as a divine appointment. They saw this as a God-given gift. Even further than that, if you look at Scripture, they see it as a fulfillment of prophecy. They're like, hey, David, it's here, it's now, the moment The moment God has promised you, I think what's interesting, though, is I was trying to cross-reference that prophecy. I couldn't find it anywhere in Scripture. I was hoping that I could find it, you know, somewhere where someone else or where the Bible recorded someone saying that, but I just couldn't find it. Uh, Made me even think how much of it was God's prophecy and how much of it was their hope. They they wanted to capture Saul. This was the moment, and they're like, this is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment that God has given us. So I look at this situation, or we look at this situation, and we say, what are the chances? In all of this wilderness, vast wilderness, vast desert, Saul chose to relieve himself in this cave. What are the chances that he's alone at this very moment? He's vulnerable, and David's men, they're ready. When you look at that kind of situation, it seems to all line up. Maybe it is the will of God. Maybe this is our opportunity. Well, there's only a, there, there was only one problem. This is the Lord's anointed king. Scripture has identified that for us. David identifies that for us in this passage. Saul was a horrible person, horrible man, horrible king. But yet he was the Lord's anointed king. 
And killing him in this moment would have been sinful. So that's what's standing in their way. They have this golden opportunity to take care of their problem, but in doing so, it will be sin. See, but David's men thought, but God has given him into our hands. God has given us this opportunity. This is the moment we must take it now. But was it really a moment that God had given them? Was it really a gift for them? When we look at scripture, scripture tells us that God does not tempt us to sin. but Rather, we are tempted by our own hearts when that happens. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And, when, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James 1, 13 through 15. I think there are two important aspects in that passage that I just shared with you. He himself tempts no one. Why? Because no one would be able to resist the temptation of God. Right? And he has no part of wickedness. He would not tempt us to sin. We would fail. God would be guilty of making us sin. Well, we sin not because God tempts us. We sin because of our own desire. Where does desire come from? It comes from the heart. What proceeds out of the mouth comes from the heart of man. In his heart, man sins against God and against each other. I think that's two important things to really point out in that text. Looking at David's men, they were eager to kill Saul regardless of it being sinful or not. See, you look at the situation and you almost can feel sorry for them. You can relate to them. Saul had caused them much pain. He had caused them much suffering. And you look at the situation and you say, surely someone who had hurt them that bad deserves what they were going to give him, even if they had to sin to do it. Now, that sounds really familiar if you really put it in your own personal experience. I'm sure at some point in your life, the person that you have bitterness towards was vulnerable, was alone, they were ready to be attacked. And in your head, you thought, wow, this is God's divine opportunity for me. I get to pay them back. You see, a heart of bitterness justifies sin in order to carry out its evil desires. A heart of bitterness is going to look at a situation and say, oh, God has given me this situation to pay back. God's given me this situation so that I can hurt them as they have hurt me. When we have a bitter heart, we look at something like that and we say that to ourselves. Hey, they hurt me, I'm just paying back the favor. See, it's one thing to be sinned against and it's another thing to return sin for sin. When we look at the Bible and we look at our Savior, Jesus tells us that if someone sins against you, number one, you are to forgive them 
And to forgive them means that you can't hold that sin against them any longer. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things to ever do. In fact, we need God's help to do it. We can't forgive people under our own power. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in that. I need the Holy Spirit to pull me in that. I'm trying to go in the opposite direction, and the Holy Spirit grabs me by my feet and says, oh, you're going to forgive this person. Forgiveness is extremely difficult. And a lot of times we say, no, I... I've forgiven that person, but we continue to hold that sin in our heart against that person. That sin, that, 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 that sin, that anger continues to grow. It grows into bitterness, and then all of a sudden, we hate that person. See, when we do not let go, when we do not let go of the sin that someone has sinned against us, or when we do not let go Uh, of our hold of the person who has sinned against us, what we are doing is that through a bitter heart, we are holding someone hostage. We truly are. We're holding them hostage because they have sinned against us in the past. And if you look at it, not only are we holding them hostage, but our bitter hearts is inflicting torture on them because we want them to hurt. When it's reached that point, your sin has surpassed their sin. And what we have in a lot of situations, we have in marriages, we have in families, we have in churches, and we have in friendships, where it's just like this disguise. It's like, no, I, am, I do love you. I love you, but I'm going to make you pay for hurting me. We have this fake unity. There's no humility We're just going along about our business, seeming like everything's okay, but it really isn't. Because in our minds, in our hearts, we're out to do some damage. Well, this is not the way to treat one another another because it is not the way that Christ has treated us. Amen? It's not the way... To treat one another because Christ has not treated us that way. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine, heaven forbid, and there's no way this is possible, but imagine if Christ had bitterness towards us for our sin, we would not stand forgiven of our sin. We would still be guilty of it. Right? Because if he held bitterness, then he wouldn't have died for us. But the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Second thing this passage reveals, or the second mark of bitterness. Bitterness finds pleasure in people's pain. Verse 4, we see, Saul, we see David pressured by his men. He approaches Saul. It looks like he's going to kill him. Maybe he had that in mind. But instead, he cuts off a corner of his robe. Now, this can be seen in two ways. First, this is an act of mercy on David's part. It truly is. He had every opportunity to kill Saul. Saul's been chasing him after his life. This is is the golden moment, so to speak, that his men told him about. So he takes mercy upon Saul and just cuts the corner of his robe. But this also can be seen as a symbolic act. Because God's already revealed to Saul that he's ripping the kingdom from him. 
Well, how much more symbolic can you get than cutting the corner of the king's robe? What does the robe personify? What does it show? It shows authority. And it's, his, his robe is being cut. So David cutting the royal robe was symbolic of the kingdom being torn from Saul by God. But then in verse 5, we see that right after cutting Saul's robe, David's heart strikes him. It, 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 the word struck here is, translates to like being hit, being beaten. And so it says that he is, he is, David's heart struck him. That means his heart was injured from a strong conviction of a wrongdoing. So he does this, and then all, all of a sudden he has this really strong conviction. He's, he's sick to his stomach. He, he can't believe what he has just done. Because what he has done is a sin. Now imagine if David killed Saul at that moment. Imagine what his conviction would be like then. I, I think of that situation, and I'm thankful that sometimes I want to pay back evil for evil, and the Lord keeps me from it. And I think about what if I would have done this or what if I would have done that. I really couldn't live with myself. I think we have all been there before, and I see what, and that's what David is going through now. He sinned against God, but it could have been a whole lot worse. Now, it's important to notice that David seems to be the only one who felt this strong conviction of sin. Because the other men, they weren't having it. Look at verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put, him, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Strong conviction from David. He realizes, I've sinned against God. I had a moment of weakness. I gave in to the people encouraging me to sin. And I went and I sinned against God, and now God has, through his spirit, has struck my heart. But David's men, on the other hand, Scripture says that they had to be persuaded by David. And even further, Scripture says that they not only had to be persuaded by David not to inflict harm on Saul, but they had to be restrained by David. This wasn't like David cutting off the, the, the robe, the corner of, of Saul's robe, and then going to his men and saying, ah, look what I got. And then everybody's laughing like, oh, yeah, David, you did good. That was a good one. It's all even now. We're, we're good. We're not mad at him anymore. It was nothing like that. It was the opposite. David cuts off the corner of his robe. He comes back. He says, man, guys, I feel really bad. They're like, what, did you kill him? No, I cut off the corner of his robe. What? You feel bad because you cut off the corner of his robe? He's alone. He's vulnerable. You're armed. You could have killed him. David, if you're not going to kill him, I'm going to go take care of it. David's like, no, wait, wait, you don't understand. We're in the wrong here. We're sinning against God. This is the Lord's anointed. I don't care who this is. Do you remember what he's done to us? It's a wonderful picture of mercy and grace because here is David 
standing in the gap between his men and Saul. Who does that remind you of? Man, this is the guy who wants to kill him. It's like Christ standing in the gap between the devil and us. We're the ones who put Christ on the cross. And yet he's praying for us. He's in the gap for us. And David's having to push his men away from Saul at this moment. He's having to persuade them, to restrain them. Because they want to inflict pain. They want payback. I'm sure that they were completely upset that David let Saul walk out of that cave. I'm sure they were close to killing David. Like, if you don't move, we're going to take care of you. They wanted to see him suffer. You see, when hatred has turned into bitterness, it does something to the heart. It does something ugly. It leads a person to get satisfaction from the pain of the offender. A bitter heart finds satisfaction in the offender's suffering. They hear about this person and how this person is suffering or how this person is going through something. They come back and they maybe tell somebody, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You might catch yourself saying, well, God doesn't like ugly. Saw it coming. Or you might catch yourself saying, it was just a matter of time. They're such an ugly person. Or now they can see how it feels. They can see what I went through. See, these are things that we may not say to anybody else because if we do say it to anybody else, it's like, wow, okay, that's pretty harsh. But these are definitely things that we say in our hearts. We don't dare utter it but with our mouth, but we, we have it in our hearts. See, as Christians, we must know that God is the one who will repay. At times, it takes everything we have to trust the Lord in that situation. And it takes everything we have to know that he will repay, but he will repay. Years ago, I had to console a family. It was tough. I don't know how many of y'all remember Tashawn Culpepper, but Tashawn was a member of our church here off and on throughout the years. And she had, uh, this is around 2016, she had not been to our church in a while, and I received a phone call from her family. Tragic situation occurred. Tashawn had been murdered. She had been murdered by her husband. And the family was calling me to see if I could do her funeral. Of course, I agreed, and we had the opportunity to talk, get ready for the funeral. And the whole time, there was a strong, strong sense of bitterness. And I couldn't blame them. Not only from them, not only from the family and friends, but I felt in my own heart, Bitterness growing. 
There's a lot of questions you ask yourself when a young woman dies leaving kids behind being murdered by her husband. And you sit there and you're just mad. You're mad at the whole situation. And God worked on my heart before I got up to this very pulpit and preached to them. One of the things that I address with them is that vengeance is the Lord, is the Lord's. And the reason why I had to say that to them was because of my own bitterness that I was feeling. And imagine what they were going through. Imagine her father, her mother, her mother. Her grandparents, uncles, aunts, friends. Imagine what her kids are going to have to deal with whenever they grow older. I read to them from Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, that's a powerful passage because it doesn't matter who offends you. It doesn't matter who hurts you. If it's a non-believer, if a non-believer sins against you, well, you just have to remember that vengeance is the Lord. And that word vengeance is a scary, scary word. It is punishment as retribution for what they have done to you, for what they have ultimately done against the Lord. Vengeance is his. You should feel sorry for that person because they're going to face the wrath of God for what they've done. But... If a believer hurts you, don't think that they're going to get away with it. That's one of the things that people get frustrated with. They're like, oh, if it's a believer, Jesus is just going to forgive them. He's not going to do anything. to He's just going to give them a big old hug and say, that's okay, try again next time. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to go through anything. That's us thinking in our own heads. But when we look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that if we sin against God, the Lord disciplines us. And that the Lord's discipline is not pleasant. So, yes, it's not punishment as retribution, but the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and he does it perfectly and completely. So if anyone has done anything against you, you are free to move towards forgiveness. You are free to not hold them hostage. You are free not to torture them anymore because the Lord will deal with them. We have that promise in his word. So since, God, since God is so faithful to his holiness and so thorough in his judgment, 
we are not allowed to punish anyone from bitterness. Vengeance is the Lord's. Now the third mark, third mark we see of bitterness in our passage is that bitterness spreads to the whole man. I look at situations and I look at relationships and I even look at my own heart and I have this question. How is it that a converted heart can hold so much bitterness? Or that the people of God can devour one another? Or how is it that we can come to hate those that we once loved so much? See, I have growing concern for David's men when I read that passage. I just picture all kind of different things of what could have happened. Obviously, we don't know for sure because Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what happened from that moment on. But I do have growing concern for David's men. I can see the potential growth of the seed of bitterness in their hearts. I can see them becoming like the man that they hated so much. I can see them becoming like Saul. And instead of using David's men as an example of how bitterness spreads to the whole man, I I want to use Saul as an example. The man upon whom mercy was given in this passage. And I say mercy because he did not deserve it. Remember Saul began his relationship with David on a good note, on good terms. When they first met one another, Saul loved David. He had favor upon him. He loved him as his own son. But then, in this situation, David did not sin against him. It's just that Saul, Saul's heart was just hard. And the love that he had for David turned into, it grew into hate through bitterness. He hated the fact that God had anointed him. He hated the fact that that David was so successful. He hated the fact that David was so liked by his people. And that bitterness just started to grow and grow and grow. And now Saul's heart, his bitter heart is driving him to continually sin against David, but more importantly, to sin against the Lord. That's all he can think about. He was a really bad king. Now he's a horrible king because he's just focused on killing David. He's not taking care of the affairs that God has called him to take care of. It's amazing to see what Saul was willing to do to kill David. And it will eventually, as we continue to read, it will consume his life. He will die with a bitter heart. It happens when we are snake bit. Bitterness spreads like venom through a snake bite. I really, really dislike snakes. I don't care if they're poisonous or not. Some people try to tell me, no, you're not supposed to kill those kind of snakes. They keep everything. If I see a snake, it's a dead snake. I don't care if it's a rat snake, a copperhead, a grass snake. If, if, if it comes within my personal zone, it is a dead snake. 
And speaking of snakes, a poisonous snake, the, the thing you have to worry about is the venom. And thank the Lord, I've never been bitten. I've known people who have been bitten. But I, 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 I read and looked at stuff and to see the, the damage that venom does when it enters the bloodstream. It, it's amazing. I don't know if you've ever looked at that. Sometimes I was watching a show one day where they mix venom with blood. And it allows you to see what the venom does to the blood. Now, let me see if I can get this word right. It coagulates the blood. I was like, coagulate? What does that mean? It's the action or process of a liquid, especially blood, changing to a solid or semi-solid state. So, I, they've had, I saw this show where they had this vial of blood. They put the venom in there and then let the blood just sit there. They mix it a little bit, just like it would be mixed in your body. And they let it sit there a little bit. They come back later and the blood that was, would run out of that container, it's now more like sludge. And you let it sit there a little bit longer, the venom continues to coagulate the blood and they come back, and it's more like slime. See your kid's slime, it's all gunky, and it's not even moving. Now, imagine that happening in your body. Your heart's pumping. Blood's meant to flow. What happens when blood's not flowing? Your heart ain't going to, it can't take it. So this blood, it changes to a solid or semi-solid state. And it just reminds me of how bitterness spreads. And when it spreads, it's not only painful for the one who is enduring it, but for those who are watching it happen, it's also painful. It's painful to see someone who just has a bitter heart and they're going around and just destroying everything. It's very painful. It's painful to endure it. It's painful to watch it. And it spreads to all of the heart. As it continues to spread, it hardens, it hardens the heart and destroys everything in its path. Someone who's bitten by a snake, they basically just have one thing that can take care of it. It's the antivenom. Now, the antivenom for bitterness is the word of God. It's the word of God through the spirit of God that takes care of the bitterness of heart. You know, we're given a biblical example of this, um, and I, I want to read it to you very quickly. I want to use the biblical example of Cain. And in Genesis chapter 4, the Bible talks about uh, the time when, right before he killed Abel. It says, so Cain was very uh, angry, and his face fell. He was, he was angry that God had rejected his offering and accepted Cain's, his brother. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That passage always comes to mind for me personally and also when I counsel others, when someone is dealing with something, it's like, 
the, the imagery of, of sin crouching at your door, I just, I just think of whatever it is you're afraid of, just waiting there for you, just ready to pounce on you, to consume you, to take you over. That's, that's what I think about here. For those battling with bitterness towards someone, I want you to take to heart the words of God to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. But you're like, wait a minute, Pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand how much they've hurt me. You don't understand how much pain this has caused, not only to me, but to people that I love. I understand. I've been in your shoes. I understand because I look at this passage and I see the, the behavior of Saul's men, what they endured, and how they wanted to inflict pain on him, on, on, on Saul. I understand. But you must understand that God is calling you to do what Christ would do. Yes, evil was done against you. But God says, repay evil with mercy. When we do that, we're trusting that the Lord is going to take care of the situation. And we're trusting that the Lord is going to take care of us as well. You must resist bitterness by standing firm in the faith and in the word of God. I want to close with this. The Lord is doing something with what's going on in your heart. We say that all the time. We're like, the Lord, the Lord has a purpose to everything. Even in our sin, the Lord does not cause us to sin, but he works through our sin for his glory and our good. He does it in a way that he does not sin. See, the Lord is either shaping your heart as you deal with this sin of bitterness or he's removed his hands from you so that the sin of bitterness will shape you. One or the other. Either the Lord's shaping you or your sin is going to shape you. How do we know that? Well, because the Lord is the potter and we are the clay. He shapes us according to the purpose for which he has created us. That is clear. For those being used by him as honorable vessels, I'm speaking about those who are transformed, who have been saved, who are his. He's using all things, including this sin of bitterness, to shape you through faith, confession, repentance, and obedience, which all lead to sanctification. He's shaping you through that. So that's why it's important for you to walk in these things. It's one thing to confess that you have bitterness in your heart, but you must move from that confession to repentance and then to obedience. And if for some reason the person does it to you again, you must and you fail and you sin against them and this bitterness starts to grow, you got to go back to faith, confession, repentance, and obedience. You don't let, just let it happen. 
That's the only way for us to grow through something like that. See, that means through faith, you are confessing your sin, you are seeking repentance, and you are working to obey. You're not just sitting there saying, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to change my heart. The Lord's already changed your heart if you're a Christian. Now this is your job. This is your work that he's called you to. Now, for those who are being used by him as dishonorable vessels, those who are not saved, I want you to know that he's using all things, including your sin, to shape you through your flesh, through your pride, through your rebellion, and also your disobedience, which all lead to depravity. That's what he's doing with you. That means through unbelief, you won't acknowledge God, you won't repent, and you won't obey. Well, Paul talks about this type of person. This is what he says. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, meaning a depraved mind, to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, and then it continues on and on and on. The Lord is at work one way or another. What you have to do is you have to look within yourself. You have to, you have to look within yourself. You have to test your heart. Do I know the Lord? Do I trust the Lord? Will I obey the Lord? If you're not willing to do those things, then you better go back to the foot of the cross. You better remember what's been done for you. Because you need the gospel again. Maybe the first time it was just like, well, yeah, I'm going to accept Christ because something good is being promised to me. You fully didn't understand what you were being called to. We always have to check ourselves, and if we're not aligned with God's word, and if we're, willing, if we're not willing to be aligned with God's word, we got to go back to the cross. It's like when you're really, really sick. You go to the doctor, and they fix it. You go home, and you're not worried about anything. Then the symptoms start to come back. You don't just stay at home. You go back to the doctor. A lot of times we think, oh, the cross is behind me. I don't have to go back that way. No, we have to live at the foot of the cross. We have to live there. We don't stray from the cross. Because when we stray from the cross, that's when sin comes in. That's when a bitter heart grows. That's when we're filled with all kinds of evil. We have hope that the Lord will never take his hands off of us. That he will never take his hands off of our heart so that it will harden. 
We hope that the Lord will complete his good work in us. And listen, if we have Christ, our hope will not be disappointed. Or our hope will not disappoint us, rather. But if you do not have Christ, you are hoping in vain. Christ is the difference. When bitterness begins, I plead with you, Christian, you must deal with it before it deals with you. If you're dealing with bitterness growing in your hearts towards somebody, I ask you to turn to the Lord and say, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Let us pray.